Bob and I hug on a daily basis, so it's not unusual. He's a very lovey guy. Well, like he said, uh, our text is in first is in John chapter twenty, verses twenty-one through twenty-three. But I'll start with the challenge. So if anybody falls asleep, we're good to go. Okay. Um, our mission is similar to that of Jesus Christ. And that may shock some of us, so I'll say it again. Our mission here on earth is similar to that of Jesus Christ. If you are sitting here, a redeemed sinner saved by the blood of Jesus Christ, you have been sent by Jesus Christ on a mission to seek and save the lost. So um, we have three verses. And John chapter 20, verses 21 through 23. I'm going to go ahead and read them. You can follow along. In your Bible, if you do not have a Bible, they are in the pews, because we know how hectic life can get when you're headed to church. And for me, especially when you have kids, I've realized that. It's a little harder for Emily. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. And if you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. And if you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. So let me give you some background because sometimes um, when I read through these things, I blast through sections of text. I rarely read three verses and shut my Bible and think, wow, I'm going to think about that for a week. That's exactly what we're going to do. And so I want to break this out a little bit. Let me give you some uh, background, but before I do, um, I want to pray for myself because uh, I am um, very fallible myself. So let's pray. Father, I do thank you for... uh, um, this church, uh, what we do here, Lord, and uh, being able to come here and worship you in different ways than we do in other parts of our lives. Um, We are continual outpours of worship, Lord, and we come here, um, not because you have to come here to be a Christian, but this is something you want us to do. Um, And your your message from the pulpit is to be a gift to people, um, and we learn and grow from that, and the worship is another way that we creatively worship you. God, I pray that as I do bring the word, um, that your words uh, will come through me, and that my mistakes, Lord, if you could remove those, I'd be wonderful. God, we love you, and in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so here's some background. This is what I'm thinking, okay? At this point, you have Jesus, and he has already been slaughtered on the cross for the payment of your sins and my sins. He has miraculously beat death and raised from the dead. Jesus then goes to where the disciples are hiding, and the disciples have locked themselves in a room, because they're afraid of what the Jews may do to them and the brutality that will happen from that. Jesus somehow enters the room to be with the disciples through a locked door. They are shocked and in disbelief, but Jesus knows this and shows them his womb, wounds from the cross. When the disciples realize this is really Jesus, the risen Savior, they are glad. So I think about this, and it's bigger than I realize, because um, Jesus Christ who they think has just been killed. And they know that Jesus said, I'm coming back in three days, I will raise from the dead. But I cannot help, we see through Scripture these disciples, they're a lot like myself, very, you know, slow learners. And so I imagine they're in this room and they're locked in there because they're scared. And I can't imagine them not pacing around thinking, dude, if this does not happen the way Jesus said, we're in a lot of trouble. We wasted this and we wasted this and we go through these things in our minds. So this is what I want you to picture. You've dropped everything to follow this man. And you believe him to be God in flesh. You have left your jobs. You have left your family. You have been learning from this man. You have followed this man into dangerous lands. You defend what you are doing by what this man teaches. You have a relationship with this man. 
Your family and friends left you because of your pursuit of this man. The government orders this man to be killed unjustly. People are mocking and yelling as he carried his cross to where he'll die. In your heart, you know he will be raised from the dead, but your mind has doubts. You watch him die, you hear he is dead, and you know he is dead. Reality sets in that if he doesn't raise from the dead, your own life is at risk. You and a couple others who have been following this man lock yourselves in a room to hide from the brutality you expect to come your way. Then Jesus appears in that room with you through the door. No knocking, no doorbell. There he is. His first words are, peace be with you. So basically, settle down. So this is, like I said, why I imagine, I just can't, I imagine that these guys, there has to be some sort of doubts at times. Um, They lock themselves in a room. And when Jesus does show up, you know, on that third day, they're shocked. They think it might even be a ghost. They're not sure. And Jesus knows this, so he says, feel the wounds. This is me, this is Jesus. And then they know. And they're glad. It says that they're glad then. And uh, this is what, this is kind of how I've thought about this. I thought of a time where um, I've been promised somebody will return, but I start getting nervous, even though I know he'll return. My, my family hunts a lot. And, uh, you know, we started hunting when we were really little, and it was almost torture when we were little because my dad's a fanatic about it. We'll get up at 4 o'clock in the morning, and he'll get his, I don't know, I feel like I was one years old or something at this point, but, and he would get us out in the freezing cold, and we'd go hunting, and uh, we'd get back, you know, and it's midnight. We'll cram in a good three hours of sleep and go do it again for the next week. And uh, that's not exactly what, you know, uh, little, little kids think is really fun. Spending time with dad was fun. But I remember there would be times where we're going, and, you know, pretty soon we're getting bored. We're jumping off stumps and breaking stuff. We're getting loud, scaring the animals. My dad goes, Brian, you sit right here, and don't you move. These animals are going to come walking right by you. And I'll come get you. I'll be back. Luckily, it wasn't three days. But he will be back, he says, okay? And so I sit there. I'm like, this is awesome. Okay, my dad knows what he's doing. He says he's going to come back. And I sit there. I know my dad's going to come back. I tell you what, if I got lost, he would not stop until he found me, even if he was almost dead from looking for me. That's what my dad would do, and I know that. But I sit there, you know, and I'm thinking, oh, it's getting late. Uh... It's getting cold, you know, I'm bored. I don't see any animals, it's really quiet out. It's already 2 o'clock in the afternoon, he's not back yet. You know, getting scared, I know he's going to come back. Well, like I said, my dad, you know, he'll hunt into the woods until it's dark and then come out. And here's the secret, I don't think my brother's here today. He's not here, perfect. Okay. (laughs) Here's a little secret that my brother and I do. We're still a little afraid of the dark, Okay. So we see the sun going down, and we start making justifications. Oh, we better head out. You know, it's about 4 o'clock. It's going to get dark in four hours. You know, and so we hike out our 30 minutes out to the road. Because we're just, you know, we don't like that dark. So I'm sitting there. I know my dad's coming back, and I'm getting scared. And pretty soon, you know, I start going through these mental, like, plans in case he doesn't come back. Okay, if I stay here, you know, I'll take one arrow out of my bow so that I can shoot. And then if something kind of, like, grab, stab that, you know, and, like, in case something's attacking me. I don't know what I'm prepared for. It's just the mind does these things. Jesus said, I will be back. And these guys go and lock themselves in there. When he shows up, they're like, no way, this is Jesus. And he has to prove it to them. And just to keep that in mind, this is not just a bland text to read through, just part of the story we hear all the time. These are real people experiencing real things. They have minds like ours and infallibility like us. And so here comes Jesus and he says, chill out, peace, okay? So you're in total shock. Your mouth is hanging open. You're speechless. You're wondering if this is a ghost, but Jesus shows you his wounds and proves who he is and that he is no ghost but the real Jesus. Your shock remains, but your fright turns to amazement. 
excitement and adrenaline. It is, Jesus, it is really Jesus, the risen Savior. This is when we hit our text this morning, verse 21. Now just take that and the kids, hang on to what I just said. Then he says, peace be with you again. So you know something's coming, you know. He's like, hey, chill out. Okay, it's me. Okay, okay now uh, chill out. As the Father has sent me, I send you. See, I think a lot of times we realize that we are sent on, a, on the Great Commission, and we are on some sort of mission, um, but it gets overwhelmed with other things. But mentally we realize that. But maybe what we don't realize is that Jesus was sent on a mission to save us. Jesus was in heaven in a perfect relationship and communication with the Father. Jesus was sent on a mission to seek, save, and redeem us. On his mission here, there's a couple things I want to note that he faced that may parallel what we are to face. His living condition changed for the worse. I'm not 100% sure what heaven is like, but I, I figure at the right hand of God must be significantly better than this. His own family didn't believe him and was out on his own at a very young age. He lived in poverty, he was mocked, he was made fun of, and eventually killed for spreading the message he was to fulfill. In his efforts to reach the lost, he was lit up for eating with tax collectors, speaking to prostitutes, doing what he should be doing. He was set up by the Pharisees that they tried to get him thrown in jail and discredited him. He boldly healed people when others thought they shouldn't be healed. He gave people forgiveness who did not deserve to be forgiven. He came from heaven to serve and not to be served. He taught, prayed, debated, obeyed, loved, fed people, drank wine with people, ate with people, was passionate. He performed many miracles. He was humble. He was gracious. He was happy. He was sad. He laid down his life for another. His mission was to seek the lost and save them and provide a perfect sacrifice for all sin. And when this was finished, he came to his followers and said, it's your turn. Okay, so disciples just locked themselves in a room because they're scared. He goes, all right, well, it's your turn to do this now. Let's go. And, and I just imagine, like, and this could be wrong. Bob will probably correct me later. But this could be wrong. But, you know, there's got to be one of them freaking out in the corner. You know, Peter's in the corner crying. I just cut a guy's ear off a couple days ago. Can we just do a timeout, halftime right now? Do we have to really go right now? Uh, they're just, their minds are just going to be overwhelmed by the miraculousness of Jesus Christ and what he's been doing. And Jesus comes and says, your turn, let's go. So they say, how, say? Verse 22, by the power of the Spirit. You can't muscle through this. This mission is not something we can do on our own. And, uh, and we experience that probably on a daily basis. And we do it by the Holy Spirit. There's only one way, and that's by the Holy Spirit that we can accomplish these things. And what do we do? Verse 23, your, me- your mission is to share with the world how their sins can be forgiven. It's verse 23. Let me summarize this text here. Jesus came to the earth. He lived a sinless life to die on the cross in your place and in my place for your sin and for my sin that if we believe on Jesus Christ, we can be forgiven of our sins and spend eternity in heaven with Jesus. And as we accept Jesus Christ as our Savior, we are sent on a mission just as Jesus was sent on a mission and by the Holy Spirit, we can seek and save the lost as well. It is our turn. It is our turn to be less concerned about our physical comfort level to risk being mocked and made fun of and laughed at and rejected. To be generous with our money. To be gracious, to be humble. To intentionally spend time with unsaved people. To be challenged on what we believe. To teach. To be patient. 
to forgive the unforgiving and to love the unloving, to be passionate and to pursue our Savior to the point of death if necessary. And I think that we need to be reminded of that. Even if we have a sermon every Sunday and at the end we say that, we were to pursue our Savior to the point of death if necessary. We were to pursue our Savior to the point of death if necessary. We were sent on a mission. It's not a secondary mission. There's no plan B. I'll share with you my struggle. Um, I had to share it with Bob a while ago, too. It's childish and immature and embarrassing. And uh, maybe some of you share in my struggle. Don't admit it if you do, okay? I care what you guys think too much. I care what you guys think more than I care what God wants me to be doing. And uh, maybe sometimes I'll keep in check myself because there are very godly people in here that would expect godly things from me. Um, But all too often, I think that it is not a good thing for me. Um, This part's not in my notes, but um, I'll say for the sake of people in ministry, paid ministry everywhere, that it's very hard not to fall into this, especially uh, when you guys lovingly pay our bills, (laughs) to not care what you guys think, and try not to make you guys frustrated with me. And I know it's in vain sometimes, but... Um, I care what you guys think. And, and let me give you an example. Um, we did Candy Corn Carnival. How many of you guys worked in Candy Corn Carnival? Okay, I thought that was awesome. We did Candy Corn Carnival in this room right here. Everything in this room. So we packed it in here. We packed everybody that showed up. Uh, there's about 200 people that showed up. We're in this room. And uh, we explained the different ministries that we had here. Invited them to come here. It was great. Uh, we cleaned up. We spent, you know, hours vacuuming straw out of the stage. And uh, people were uh, taking stuff down into the basement, and we did our best to clean the place up. We tried to set up the pews, um, but it's like, a, it's, it's like a trick in here. There's no way to really set up the pews correctly, but we tried. And then, so we finally get all that done, um, and I'm headed home um, right now. I sold my house, so I live in my parent-in-law's basement, which is every young man's dream. So, <laughs> living the dream day by day by day. <laughs> I'm driving home. And I see, like, this light on the side of the road. I'm like, is that a bike or something? Like, and so I kind of, like, you, know, you get in the other lane. Because one of my headlights are out. So um, I get in the other lane, and I kind of look, and there's this girl walking down the street with a gas can and a light, okay? Now, this is terrible of me to say, but I'm going to go and admit it to you. If it was an old lady, I would have picked her up. That's a good thing. I would have picked her up. But it, if it's a young lady, that just seems wrong. You know, I can get in trouble for that. Maybe she would lie about me. You know, maybe she would, like, beat me up and take my money. I don't know. And I get worried about this. You know, and I worry about, to be honest, what you guys would think. You know, if you're like, you're like yeah, I saw Brian, you know, at a gas station with some girl in his car, you know. And uh, so I pass her, actually. This is Halloween night. Who knows how many people are trashed driving around. And, uh, and, I, and I felt the Holy Spirit convicting my heart to go pick this lady up. Um, and so I turn around. I head back, and so it's awkward to, you know, even ask this. So I roll down my window, and I'm driving this big old grandma car, so it's weird anyways. Roll down my window, like... I don't want to be creepy, but you want to ride to the gas station? <laughs> and she goes, she goes, ah, and you can tell she's like, ooh, my mom told me not to do this, you know. And, and she's like, yeah, yeah. And so she starts to go around the car, and then she stops and looks in the back seat. And I'm just like, this is embarrassing. You know, like, there's probably like McDonald's and like Bible Pictionary in the back seat. So she goes around. She goes, sorry, you know, I, j- I just want to know who I get in the car with. I'm like, yeah, yeah, no, I have a, 
young daughter, I imagine I want her to do that too, I guess. So she gets in, and, uh, you know, she's like 21, 22, so I'm really awkward because I'm, you know, I, I don't know, it's weird for me. And um, so I start, you know, I ask her, you know, what happened, and she's like, oh, I ran out of gas and stuff. So anyways, we talk for a little bit, we get to the gas station, and she's like, um, you know, I, I have a dollar to put in. I'm like, I start my car and I use a dollar, I think, you know, like. And so I told her, I said, well, and we're at the gas station. I don't even know where I'm at right now. I think we're over there. I was at the gas station right there. I said, well, I work at that church right there, and they let me spend some money on this sometimes. So, you know, I'll just get your gas for you. And so uh, you guys bought her gas, and then uh, we go back to her car and fill up her gas tank. I put a little in mine. No, I'm kidding. And we fill up her gas tank, and I ask her about her life. We start this conversation. Uh, her husband died when she was pregnant with her daughter, who's now a year and a half. And, uh, you know, she's trying to buy a dollar's worth of gas, you know. And so we talked for a little bit, and, and I wish, you know, in hindsight, I'm driving away. I'm like, oh, I should have done this. I should have done this. But the thing is that I cared what other people would think about me when really, you know, of course Jesus wants me to pick up the girl walking down the street on Halloween night. That's ridiculous of me to pass that. That's cowardly of me to do that. And uh, I'll do a disclaimer, though. There's probably some of us that shouldn't do that. And, uh, and what I would just say is if the Holy Spirit's telling you to do something, you have to do it. And I spoke at Golden Airs one time a while ago, um, and I told him I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do a selfish message here. I'm going to talk a little bit, then I'm just going to ask for your advice on it. You teach me. And uh, one of the things I ask is, how do we do what God wants us to do? Why are we so afraid of that? And how can we overcome that? And uh, one of the ladies said, uh, you just got to do it, Brian. You feel God telling you something, you just do it. And uh, which is really interesting to me, because I learned that on my own when I was young. I noticed that I turned down everything God wanted me to do. And I would justify it. And that's probably just me. Oh, I would probably say something wrong. And uh, so I just decided at one point, I'm going to do whatever I feel God telling me to do. And there's going to be times where I do something I'm not supposed to do. And that will further clarify which voice is mine and which voice is God. And uh, I started doing that. And that's, I guess that would be my advice to you guys. Um, If you are in that little area, just if you feel God is telling you to do something, pray about it and do it. That is my struggle, though. Um, I care what people think more than I care about what God thinks sometimes. Jesus was on a mission which led him to speak to prostitutes. Imagine somebody claiming to be the Savior and hating sin, and then these legalist, religious people see you talking to a prostitute. Man, they would light him up for that. And then the tax tax collectors, man. He went and ate with them. I mean, it just blows me away he would do these things because... That he would get in trouble for it. There would be people saying, you shouldn't be doing that. Who is the Savior eating with these sinners? They should be spending time uh, with the people who do trust in him and do believe him. Jesus knew what the people would say and think, and he did it anyways. The ministry of forgiveness was more important than the religious legalists of the day and what they thought. Listen, Jesus did not die so that we could have religion. Jesus died to forgive sins and give life. And we fight against this legalistic, religious stuff all the time. And we're so afraid to get caught in something and and have somebody ask a question, Brian, why did you pick up a girl on the side of the road? You know, for me, yes, that's still even hard to answer, you know. Um, I believe I did the right thing, though. And I think we need to make those decisions more. We cannot muscle our way through this mission. We need the Holy Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit. That is the power that is in us. That is the secret weapon from Jesus. Okay, that is the secret weapon. That is God in us. How powerful is that? I used this example once. 
And I think I talked about it last time too. I used this example once in junior high, um, and they only remembered the part I don't care that they remember. But I was talking about the Holy Spirit. If you have an encounter with God, you accept Christ as your Savior, ask the Holy Spirit to come into your life, dude, that has got to, you have an encounter with Jesus, which is significantly more than an encounter with a semi-truck. And if you had an encounter with a semi-truck, got plowed by a semi-truck, people would see a difference. In the same sense, the Holy Spirit is so... You can see why they don't remember what I say. Because they just remember a semi-truck hitting people. <laughs> My point is that an encounter with Jesus Christ is going to be more life-changing. There should be a difference you see in that. And that's by what we do. Jesus didn't die so we could have religion. He died to forgive sins and give life. We need the Holy Spirit. We cannot muscle our way through this. There's one way to be saved from the torments of hell and to spend eternity in paradise with our Father in heaven. And that's through accepting Christ as your Savior and believing the work He's done on the cross. There's no plan B. That is it. He would have been put on a mission. Um, God could have chose another way to do that. And there's some times where I'm sure all of us wish He would have. Like, why, God, would you not just choose a way that leaves me out of it? I can still be a failure and it won't be an issue. But God chose us to be on this mission, it is plan A. There is no plan B. God will do what he wants and intervene in people's lives. He's put us on a mission, though, and we're supposed to consider it plan A, no plan B. And this mission is important. We spread the gospel, or people don't hear about Jesus' work of loving forgiveness of sins. And they're not able to believe it, accept it, and be saved. We are it because God made it that way. There's no plan B. We're it because God made it that way and there's no plan B. We're on a mission more important than any other mission that we believe we have in our lives right now. I am leaving because there's no plan B. I have to do what I believe God is telling me to do. And I'll tell you what, I know some of you guys have sat in uh, different meetings and heard me talk about this. And maybe some of you guys can identify with this. Maybe this will help some of us with decisions down the road. But... Um, I'm leaving down to California in seven weeks to work at a different church. Um, Emily and I were not looking for another church. Um, this job first came across, and we said no to it. Um, and long story short, we felt God convicting us to continue to pray about it. And, uh, and so we would pray, and we prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed. Together, apart, come back together, talk about it. And we came to that God wants us to go down there. And since both of us, you know, got that same conclusion, came together and talked about it even. Uh, we're like, okay, this is it. We've got to do this. We've always said, whatever God wants us to do, we'll do it. God, please don't send me to missions, though. Please don't send me to missions, though. <laughs> whatever God wants me to do, though, I will do it. That is my weakness. If you guys see me in missions someday, you guys better start praying. Because I'm going to be freaking out, okay? And then a couple of weeks would go by, and Emily and I, you know, we would get all sad about things. You know, we've got to sell our house. You know, we've got to move down there. We're leaving our family. My dad's crying. We go through all these things, right? And... And then we'd be like, okay, we're probably doing something wrong. God's blessing our ministry here. We have friends here. We have family here. We need to pray about this again because we could have done something wrong. We need to be for sure about what we're doing. And so we'd start this whole process over again, all this praying and everything. And we'd come to the same conclusion. And then we're like, okay, that's it. We've got to do this. And we get jacked up about this and we commit to it. And then pretty soon we're like, you know, Maybe, maybe we need to try praying together a lot, separate, come together, separate, separate, come together, make a decision from there. And so we would do that. Dude, it's just, we so desperately 
wanted to do what was safe and comfortable for us. The ministry here is successful uh, through the youth ministry. There's kids growing. We're baptizing kids. Kids are giving their life to Christ. The student center is bringing kids in. Everything's working. And God's taking me away from that. And uh, it's foolish of me to think that God can't provide somebody else to do a better job. Um, I do wonder, why does God need me in that small little dusty bowl down there in California? Why can't there be somebody else for down there? And I've said this before. God's asking me to leave my family, to take my grandkids, my parents' grandkids, away from them. I don't have grandkids. <laughs> Give me some time on that one. I'm taking grandkids away from my family. I watch my father and my mother cry. I watch my sister pretend it doesn't affect her. It is sad. And I don't like it at all. And I have uh, my wife's family on that side too. I got my brother's wife and kids. I have hunting that we do together that we'll both do. There's so many things that seem so wrong about it. But there's no plan B. There's nothing more important than this mission. So I need to do it. And uh, I appreciate everything you guys have done for me. Because uh, I've made grand mistakes. Um, I've let the ball fall on some events and stuff like that. Um, there are mistakes you guys will probably never even know about, probably. Um, you guys have been really patient with me. I started, I was on paid staff here six years ago. And you guys have stuck with me for six years. And uh, that's amazing to me. Right out of college, um, you know, I mean, right out of high school, I, were, I went to school for one year, and you guys were willing to trust me with, uh, with kids. And I had, uh, I had Michael, you know, on on top of me, making sure I don't do anything stupid, but um, you guys were very gracious to me, and Emily and I will be forever indebted to you because of that. Um, I don't know if you guys know this, but your first ministry job out of school is a hard one to get, and you guys uh, took me in and, you know, kept giving me more responsibility, more money, and uh, provided a way for my wife to be able to stay stay at home mom while I work here, and just everything's been really great. Um, You guys are allowing me to continue to work, through the end of December, so that I don't have any gap in work, and I appreciate that. Um, I have very fond memories of Golden Airs. Uh, my grandma going to Golden Airs, um, who is no longer with us anymore, and uh, speaking at Golden Airs, um, and you guys uh, talking to me about stuff, giving me advice. Um, Art Bowen, uh, fond memories of him and the conversations we had. Um, he'll actually be even speaking with the uh, with the youth here in a couple weeks, probably. So. Um, that'll be a blessing also. You guys have been very supportive um, to me, uh, encouraging me um, when I preach um, and do a good job or a bad job. You guys still encourage me, so I appreciate that. Um, this is the last time I'll probably talk to you guys up here. And uh, so I wanted to uh, take this passage and exhort you on this mission. Uh, I exhort you to be on mission every day, every minute, Every argument, every day of work, every frustration with your children, every conversation at Starbucks, every waking moment, every word from God, you do it in your life. Do not let religion lead you, let the Holy Spirit lead you. Love God, love people, and spread the gospel. That is our mission. And we are sent just as Jesus was sent. And as you read in your Bibles, 
the life of Christ and the torments he went through, the tough times he went through, the successes he had, the excitement he had, the passion he had, the times he wept, we will have those same times. Okay? And we spread the message of forgiveness and salvation. Jesus provided that. We spread the message of it. Now let religion lead you. Let the Holy Spirit lead you. Love God. Love people. Spread the gospel. Let's pray. Father, um, comparatively, we are so weak. I feel so inadequate to do the mission you've given us, Lord. And although I don't understand why you'd even entrust that to us, Lord, I thank you for uh, doing that and having faith in us and working with us and giving us the power beyond ourselves to do it, and that's the Holy Spirit. God, as we look at the uh, mission Jesus was sent on your son, um, it's miraculous. It blows us away. Um, He was tempted as we were tempted. There's nothing in our lives that he can't identify with. We are on mission in the same way, Lord. It seems that there are always things crowding in on that. When we get less busy, we will do it. Or when this gets better, we will do it. Or when we clean up our lives, we will do it. Or, um, God, it's, there's no plan B. This is it. And you'll put people in our lives to seek and save. It's not by our power we save anybody, Lord, but you use us to do it, and that's a blessing. Father, my prayer for our congregation here is that we will be on mission in the same sense that Jesus Christ was. We'd have the same intentionality, the same passion, the same drive, the same focus as that. We'll not let our jobs overwhelm us and take over that. We'll not let our kids discourage us. We'll not let our own sin corrupt our lives, Lord, but we'll repent and turn away from those things and fight that. We'll provide ourselves with accountability so that sin will be brought to our faces so that we can turn away from it, Lord, because we do not want that. We want a close, personal, intimate relationship with you and to do the work you sent us on. God, we have a lot of work to do. We have a lot of work on ourselves to do and a lot of work in this world to do, Lord. Lord, I pray that uh, we'll experience the power of the Holy Spirit in our own lives and that that will overflow into uh, the saving work you've put us on. God, what what an honor it is to serve you in that way whatever capacity is given us spiritual gifts to accomplish these things, Lord. You have fully prepared us for it. And I pray that we'd have confidence in that and in you. And we would uh, see this Holy Spirit work inside of us and receive our power from that and not by our own will. God, we love you. In Jesus' name, amen.